0: know I believe 100% in CSA I believe in the program I believe that there needs to be a system I believe that that there are bad actors out there the the issue that I and many of my colleagues have is again it's the unintended consequences of this the information is public and it's available to people and parties that don't understand what it is
1: Hey everybody. I'm Todd Dills. This is the Overdrive Radio Podcast for April 23rd, 2021. And today we're delving back into the subject of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration's CSA Safety Measurement System and the shortcomings built into its structure, as you heard Bolt Carrier pain Trucking Safety Director Chris Haney talking about at the top. It's that public nature of CSA and carrier data that has long been the principal thorn in the program's side at least from the point of view of carriers forced to do contending with it on a day-to-day basis. That includes uh, small fleets, owner-operators, and company drivers, too, given the increased importance of every violation you could possibly think of, small and large, in the wake of the program's beginnings. I wanted to turn back to my February discussion with Chris Haney and CBSA director uh, Chris Turner, formerly of the Kansas Highway Patrol, for another more exigent reason, though. That's because I heard from Eagle Express small fleet owner Leander Richmond early this week about yet another data cues outcome. Data cues, regular readers will know, is the system through which carriers can correct information collected about them by states in partnership with FMCSA, violations needing challenging, citations that have been adjudicated, incorrect crash information, disputes over crash reportability, and plenty more. Small fleet owner, Richmond, finally resolved a false log violation case involving one of his drivers down in New Mexico that I wrote about in, get this, October of 2019. Early October, mind you. He finally got to the right person through a letter to the New Mexico Attorney General and those in state uh, law enforcement with awareness of his case and finally, somebody listened. The false log violation will be removed from his record in July, he was told. So what's that? 20 months after the original issuing. Do you know how long those violations live on a carrier CSA profile? Heck, another four months and Richmond would have been free and clear of the violation on his record just by natural timing, had he done uh, you know nothing at all to challenge it. His last data queue success was late last year. That violation uh, took more than a year to be removed as well. This latest small victory means that a violation sitting on his record right now He's actually challenged and removed the equivalent of about 15% of them in just a couple of years. Those time lags, however, make carriers increasingly feel like, well, here's how Chris Haney put it.
0: Right now, as an industry, it's more, we just feel more like a victim of the process rather than a part of the process. And the future of motor carriers, drivers, our industry is in the care and custody of this is even hard to say, law enforcement, (laughs) Federal Motor Carrier Safety, Administration, the CDSA, and what you do with the information that you gather. And the accuracy of that information has far more consequences than just what you see face value. I have said this time and time again publicly, I applaud the program. I, I believe that there is absolutely a need for oversight because of the bad actors. I absolutely believe that. It's the unintended consequences, the unforeseen consequences of the mistakes that are being made. And there's a general feeling that not enough effort into getting it right is put into it as much as collecting the data. and. Again, I'm gonna end with, I applaud all of the effort. I just think that we can work harder.
1: Leander Richmond might've been a little less charitable in his assessment over the false log violation. Here's what he told me this week, quote, this battle has gone on for 20 months. In July, it comes off our CSA score. So we have renewed our insurance twice, 2020, and this month with the negative financial impact of a false log." End quote. How many other carriers out there have had the same on their record? He asked and just imagine how many other false report hits uh, people have taken, he said. Indeed, the time lag subject was a big part of my long data queues discussion with Haney and Turner. I'll pass it off to Haney here to help set up how his safety director slot at Payne Trucking has him working the data queue system. And the rest of the talk will follow including Plenty in the way of best practices, tips, and no small amount of storytelling. Before I move that way, though, here's a word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor.
2: First Guard provides commercial
1: truck insurance to leased owner operators done right, as
2: we've done for more than 80 years. We provide physical damage and non-trucking. Many companies make you pay up to six months of insurance premiums up front, but not First Guard. We bill monthly, so you get quality insurance without needing to pay a lot of cash up front. Go to FirstGuard.com. That's one t First Guard. We speak trucker. Let's talk.
0: Well pain trucking is a a, a bulk carrier uh, in located in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and also in Maryland. Uh, we uh, uh, we do we're one of the largest uh, salt bulk carriers uh, on the East Coast. Uh, my position here is the Director of Safety and Human Resources, and I handle pretty much uh, everything that has to do with uh, risk management, uh, safety, safety training. Um, onboarding, human resources. Uh, I act as the corporate representative in all legal matters, uh, going through mediations, uh, court appearances, um, whatever it may be.
1: A lot of data cues in there then.
0: And the data cues. (laughs) (laughs) That is my responsibility.
1: That is correct. Uh, Payne runs, I believe, has about 130 trucks. Last time we talked. uh, 130, right. We also have a brokerage, um, uh, which is a very large
0: portion of the business.
1: And and a fair amount of those uh, those 130 are uh, owner operators leased on too, right?
0: That is correct. Uh, we're probably about I want to say almost 60 40 now.
1: Okay, 60 40. 40 uh,
0: percent being the owner operator, 60 percent being asset.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, let's move over. Move on to introduce the second panelist today. He's um, directing various crash and inspection data programs with the uh, Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance. His name also happens to be Chris. So. Everybody, forgive me for the sort of relative awkwardness of referring to these two gentlemen by their full name. So, Chris Turner, thanks for being willing to come aboard here and share what you know about the DataQ system. Tell us a bit about uh, your background uh, there uh, with CVSA and the Kansas Highway Patrol, if you
2: could. Absolutely. First, uh, thank you for having us on today. This an important topic. We're excited. I'm certainly excited to talk about it. So my background, I began with the Kansas Highway Patrol in 1998, and when I came out of the academy, I was already had gone through our um, truck inspection training, so I was certified as a level three inspector at that time, which is the driver walk around only, and later went on to uh, NAS or CVSA level one. And Two, so a full walk around, uh, complete inspection of the truck, underneath the truck, the vehicle components and the and the driver as well. And then hazmat certified, other bulk certified. Over time, eventually, um, my specialist changed a little bit. So I was involved with accident reconstruction and have been since 2002 uh, as a drug recognition expert. And then I taught field sobriety for the Kansas Highway Patrol. So that was kind of my background when I came into um, what was our Motor Carrier Safety Assistance Program. And that's the grant that FMCSA gives to the states to to inspect trucks. And then eventually I became a lieutenant and began working data cues in 2006 and worked them through my retirement in 2000, uh, 2021 now, I guess, in February. So uh, I worked for thousands of data cues over that time, worked with a lot of officers and carriers to really determine the factual outcome of the data cue.
1: The, that's interesting that you mentioned that you began working with the data queues in 2006 that must have been um, it must have been a little bit different uh, then uh, before uh, CSA happened in 2010 I would imagine eh?
2: yeah the way back machine so it, it was completely different you know when I first came on we had you know uh, I might have three data queues in my queue over the course of a month to work it was a very different system when it was based on the SMF SMS methodology and compliance reviews only which are now called investigations. Um, but once they went to, to CSA, uh, way back when we called it CSA 2010, as it was coming out, we were part of that development team with FMCSA CBSA was, and, and, um, you know, through that, Kansas was a pilot, uh, one of the pilot States. So we had 50% of our investigations were the old school and 50% were the CSA investigations. You had States like Colorado who were hundred percent CSA. So, Many changes over time since the original data queues when I started working them,
1: yeah. and a lot more data queues. too. Yes, right? yeah, substantially <laughs> more, a lot yeah. more. It just means a lot more at this point. I think is the deal, right? Um, so a lot, a lot of folks in the audience is, is knows that uh, you know, what what CVSA is, and it's you know comprised of not only law enforcement represented from federal, state, and provincial jurisdictions, but also a a large number of associate members um i think that's the terminology for representatives from trucking itself and you guys meet regularly year in year out and uh, it's kind of aimed at harmonizing inspection standards and plenty more what i was just wondering chris you you, you're past president of cvsa is i'm correct right yes sir okay from your from your perspective you know when you're thinking back over, over time at CVSA meetings and things, what, what have been the chief issues discussed around data queues over the many years uh, that, that, uh, that you've been involved? Um, you know, how, how often has, has it been a topic of debate uh, in, the, in the association and, you know, kind of what, what chiefly are the issues from the enforcement and carrier size, sides of, as you've understood them up to the present?
2: Yeah, so uh, CVSA stands for the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, and our, our goal is really uniformity and consistency across all of North America. Our jurisdictional members include provinces and territories in Canada, uh, the U.S., all the states, uh, territories and D.C., and then Mexico as a country uh, is also a member. And that's our chief concern. Um, our jurisdictional members, us as an alliance. Uh, believe, uh, one, first and foremost in consistency that's done through training, education, outreach, making sure the out-of-service criteria matches the federal regulations, and then making sure that our, our members have that information because we want to prevent, our whole goal is to prevent crashes. It isn't to collect you know, data for any other reason. We wanna know that if there's a crash and there was a reason for that crash, what can we do to mitigate in that in the future to save lives? And along with saving lives as our number one priority, 1A that is just immediately underneath that is making sure we facilitate the best atmosphere that we can for motor carriers and drivers to be safe and to make sure that their goods and products and services um, get where they need to go uh, with the most ease as possible and that they're safe too. I mean, whether it's uh, um, any kind of crash, it's tragic for all of the people involved and it's tremendous um, burden on the motor carrier as well. And we realize that. So first of all, I want to make sure I, I, Talked a little bit about that. As far as the data queues, sure. th- those are a conversation that come up at every single CVSA meeting. We have, uh, in between our meetings, our committees regularly get together and visit as well about things that come up throughout the year. And then we also sponsor our CVSA data quality training in conjunction with FMCSA, and that's every eighteen months. And it just happens to be next week. So that's for law enforcement only at that point. And and what we really strive is to make sure that those folks who come into the data queue system really receive the training. They understand how to work with the data, submit it correctly to FMCSA, but also we have a pretty good section on our policy side training folks who work those data queues. And our goal is to make sure they do it consistently and accurately over time so we have the best product available. But whether it's data queue adjudication, uh, topics that CBSA worked with FMCSA on, and I was part of that panel uh, also uh, a while ago now. Um, or uh, you know, CSA, the, the landscape has changed so dramatically and law enforcement, one, as you mentioned earlier on, has seen such a dramatic increase in data queues. It really really puts a, a lot of burden on the states and it's important from, from their point of view that when they receive a data queue that it's, it's concise it states that what the carrier wants is relief, what the driver or the carrier believes uh, the officer um, was mistaken about or uh, had a lack of a communication about roadside. And, and we wanna make sure that that's cleared up. And then, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit later on, but one of the other concerns is the, the adjudicated citations and making sure that those are um, handled appropriately when they do reach the data queue analyst.
1: Okay. Um, you know, just generally speaking, do you think um, that over time, um, since the advent of the CSA program, do you? I've I've heard this from from carriers. I've heard this from law enforcement. There 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 is a sense out there that um, processes for handling data cues has improved a bit uh, over time. And I was just wondering if if you, if you feel like uh, if you feel like what you feel is, that's attributable to uh, is it like just um, just people getting more familiar with it over time and uh, getting educated about it and figuring out how to use it basically?
2: Yeah, I do. So first I want to give a lot of um, uh, accolades to you know Chris and pain trunking. So uh, Chris and, and associate members in CVSA, uh, drivers, carriers, different associations have really um, helped us strive to be better at the job that we do, but they've also um, gotten better about how they uh input the data cues two major major changes that have improved over time are one uh the data cue adjudicated citation policy from fmcsa i think that ensured that states would uh, adequately address any finding of not guilty, whether it's a finding of law or fact by a judge or jury after the court system, that that was appropriately handled in the data queue system. So if a, a judge or a jury, as a matter of law or fact, finds you not guilty, or that the law didn't apply in this circumstance, that should come off. And so that's been a, a, a great change for carriers. And, but there are some challenges with it that I know we're going to talk about. And then also the crash preventability, what was a demonstration program and is now a determination program. If motor carriers now have the opportunity to have a crash removed from their profile um, based upon the evidence in the police accident report and other, other facts that they can put forward, that's a huge, huge success and a huge improvement. It used to be the only time you could get those off your profile was if you had an investigation or a compliance review. And then the carrier had to write a letter to the division administrator of the state. That division administrator of the state would usually call the, you know, the, the police folks because they didn't know a lot about crashes. That's just not their specific training. And it was just it was a system that that needed improvement. And FMCSA's crash determination um, program, I think, is is a tremendous step in the right direction to give carriers an avenue to remove those crashes. There have been a lot of improvements, and I'm I'm really thrilled
1: about them. Yeah, that that um, is that how it works? Uh, if it's if it's an, if it's deemed not preventable, uh, the crash disappears from the record, or is it labeled as such? I can't I can't remember. Is that yeah, so it, it doesn't
2: completely disappear from the record. And and to be clear and precise about exactly what happens when the carrier does that, and if it's a finding of non preventability, it does show that it happened because it did happen. Right, right. But then it's removed from the SMS methodology, so the safety management system, and it no longer changes. The carrier score or impacts the carrier score negatively, and then also on the driver's uh, PSP report, it's it's shown that yes, there was a crash, but underneath that, will have language indicating that it was non-preventable. No. To make sure folks who are you know looking to maybe hire this driver in the future know that it wasn't their fault. Yep.
1: And uh, Chris Haney, have you have have you uh, had uh, had occasion to uh, to to use that crash uh, preventability determination program since it went live? I think it was uh, it's it's only it's only been um, you know, permanent, I guess, since last year, uh, I think it was about this time when it when when it happened.
0: I've that I just started, I just started my first preventability. Um, and I've been waiting now for seven weeks, I think, okay. um, which is just taking a very long time. Uh, so I, I, I can't, I can't tell you whether or not it's going to be successful because i have not had an opportunity
1: i checked back in with chris haney just this week and sure enough he had finally heard back about the crash and the determination was that it was in fact non-preventable and will be labeled as such in the crash records available in the safety measurement system and in similar records held on the driver but as with so much in csa it will not happen immediately of course Like what Eagle Express owner Leander Richmond is experiencing now with the false log violation, time delays will ultimately work against Chris Haney and Payne. All told, it took three months uh, to request and then receive the non-preventable determination on April 15th. The crash still hasn't been updated in the system as of a week later, however. When we were talking in late February, Haney was careful to point out the unknowns he was frustrated with around what repercussions might be if the crash were actually determined to be
0: Preventable, um, it, it's the consequences of that are are still yet to be seen on my side. I've heard stories. Um, there are issues with that because uh, if it's it, it's not being adjudicated, it's just being reviewed. And if it comes back as uh, not being listed as a non-preventable, then it's preventable. Then we're at fault. Drivers at fault. Everybody's at fault. And it just creates an issue which is one of the main things that I'm so vocal on. And that's the unintended consequences of the program. You know, I believe 100% in CSA. I believe in the program. I believe that there needs to be a system. I believe that, that there are bad actors out there. The, the issue that I and many of my colleagues have is again, it's the unintended consequences of this. The information is public and it's, available to people and parties that don't understand what it is they take it at face value and that creates a huge problem for us so yay to the system but we're not happy about it being public prior to any opportunity to be able to challenge the information and i know we're going to talk more about that as we get going but
1: right yeah, that's,
0: that, the, that's just one of the big things. It, Chris, your, I, your explanation, the way you present it, 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 it fabulous. And it, if that is the way that it was perceived by the public and all the relative parties, this would be a non-issue. Right. Does it's not. <laughs> well, I was just going to say. I think, Chris,
2: I think you make a great point. And and CBSA and and industry both. Um, asked that it, that portions of CSA not be public-facing anymore, for example, crash, and, and it is not for just a, exactly part of that reason. But but I think Chris it makes is. a good point. We're going <laughs> to have to see what, what those unintended consequences are, to Chris's point, and really make adjustments
1: in the future. So it was a little hard to hear there, but when Chris Turner spoke of crash information not being public, Haney begged to differ. Crash information is public. It's just the CSA system scoring in that category that's held back just like it is for every category in the csa system today all those violations are still fully visible from plenty of truckers perspectives i know it's the public nature of the data itself that has always been the problem the scoring was presenting a false picture sure and it's gone but the data remains in full views haney said without the opportunity to contest it before it's given its public premiere as it were yeah, and the issue—the issue in particular with the crash preventability uh, determination—that is, like, yes, if your t- if your crash is deemed preventable, it's going to say preventable under it, and preventable and this crash is my fault are not really the same thing. But you know, they're I mean, not the same thing bad. at all. They, not, you know they could be. They can be <laughs> construed to be that, right? And <laughs> we're just wondering, like, is that going to make? Uh, is that going to just gum up the works even more when it comes to? trial lawyers. And that. Something that's, and that's,
2: you mentioned that I'm, I'm also a lawyer too, but, right. um, and so I can, as you're saying that, you know, think of all the ways to attack different situations, but you know, one of one of the things that I think over time we are seeing is that folks are understanding that a crash, isn't just this happened. And therefore somebody who's feeding and the crash happened. It's not, it's not that simple. There's factors just exactly like you talked about. There's mitigating and aggravating factors and there's nothing. It is hard to find a crash and just absolutely say it but for this particular incident, three miles an hour of the limit, whatever it is, this crash wouldn't have happened. That's really hard to say. And so trying to take those factors into consideration is really important. Right.
0: Yeah. A not at fault accident can still be considered a preventable accident. And this is an argument we have often uh, from a safety perspective, is trying to communicate that message. One of the issues that I've got with the, with the crash report is you there's detailed information I, and and I, to make sure everybody understands and this is one of the biggest arguments from our industry on the crash side of this is is okay it it's not private it it's still there you still anyone can go in and click on a button and pull up a crash and they can see the report and on the report and here's where one of my biggest peeves is is it indicates whether a driver has been cited or not. It doesn't say what the citation is for. It doesn't say anything other than yes or not determined or no. And when it says yes on the crash report, it doesn't show up on the unsafe driving CSA. There's no opportunity to challenge that, but if a driver gets involved in a crash that doesn't involve a roadside inspection and he gets a citation on this on site, well, that, that ticket can be adjudicated and we can go in, we can fight it. We try it. The guy can, and the, we can get up, but it doesn't, the yes on the crash report isn't removed. Yeah.
1: That's not something and that they, you can, That's not, that's not one that you can do through uh, the day use process, which is so what we're talking when about today,
0: we, right? when we, when we talk about this, uh, from a government level through the through the through the Federal Motor Care State Administration, and we say, look, we need to have this removed if the driver is not. We said, well, no, we we understand it. This isn't saying that he was convicted. This is just saying that he received the citation at the scene. Right. Okay. Well, and we, we understand and know what that means. But my insurance company doesn't, the plaintiff's attorney doesn't, the general public doesn't, the customer doesn't. All they see is driver was cited, no explanation, nothing else. And you can say, well, fine. They'll reach out and they'll say, well, listen, you got a crash on your report. We, we'd like an explanation. Well, that's fine. And I can write a letter and we can explain the circumstances and that we took this to court and it was adjudicated the driver was found not guilty um, and, and no issues. So that's all fine and dandy, except what about the customers I'm losing that see it that don't reach out for an explanation and just say, right. oh, no, I don't even want to deal with these guys without even giving us an opportunity. Right. We, we have been tried and convicted uh, w- without even an opportunity to, to, to voice uh, uh, an objection or then, we'll offer our opinion and th- these are huge problems when this is made public then you're inviting a wide variety of interpretations i look i i come from a world where perception is just as damning as facts and I have no chance to argue any of this if I'm never given an opportunity and that's why I have such a problem and many in the industry such as myself have such a problem with this, you know, to say it's private but it's not private, it, it is public and the part that's public is you have no opportunity to, to explain it.
1: So. Mm-hmm. And how do we how do we mitigate against that um, uh, using uh, data queues if it's a possibility? I guess I, I was wondering, in in other situations, not uh, not the crash uh, quandary that uh, we're talking about, uh, we've been talking about up to this point. Um, I, I was Chris, I was wondering if you might walk us through uh, a data cues challenge that that may have been a little more challenging than most, and kind of give us a I don't know, um, give us a kind of a narrative of how you kind of got through it and the challenges that you experienced. Um, and, and, you know, along the way, maybe are there ways to speed up the process? Uh, what are the best practices to, to, to kind of mitigate against the fact that yes, when you get a, if you have a violation, um, that is unwarranted, it's going to sit there until it is removed. Um, and, and that's going to take time, but how do we speed that up? I guess. Yeah, so um,
2: as far as challenging data cues go, and that kind of goes back to the data queue adjudication, um, I, I can think back to to a couple really specific ones I had. And it wasn't long after the data queue adjudi- adjudicated citation policy went into effect. And um, and, and first of all, I want to be really clear in this statement that the majority, the lion's share, nearly all carriers out there are, are, and drivers are trying to do the right thing. These are true professionals. I think this past year highlighted Um, how professional these carriers and drivers are, how integral they are to our everyday lives. Um, So I would be remiss if I didn't thank them on this podcast, the carriers and drivers and all those folks. And when I tell this story, you are not who I'm speaking to. I want to be absolutely clear. So who I am speaking to, though, is, is, is folks who do, you know, we, we have to, to plan for the worst, right? So as an example, we, we stopped a driver in Kansas several years ago, and that driver uh, had his third open beer can, beer that he had drank. He had his, um, uh, his uh, you know, grocery bag on the side of his chair, and that's where he was dumping his empties, and he had uh, the rest of the 30-pack in the back of the truck. Um, I don't specifically remember the court uh, circumstance that led to I, I believe it was a um, for some reason it was pled down or maybe the officer wasn't able to show up. I mean obviously the court and the prosecutor still have prosecutorial discretion. Um, right. but it, at any event it it became a, a challenge to figure out how to work that when we had uh, the video evidence, the driver's you know confession it's it's all right there. it's a matter of fact it happened. you know we know that it happened and this is someone that I think, um, Chris, and all of those other carriers that I talked about, this is not a driver you want behind the wheel of your truck. Nobody wants this anywhere. Uh, so in that circumstance, we just had to figure out how that worked within the data queue adjudicated citation. And ultimately, in that situation, we, we didn't remove that particular one. Um, and that's one of those things we still need to work out when we talk about, and Chris mentioned it before, unattended consequences, right? So, you know, we didn't necessarily envision um, a court uh, for a reason other than um, you know, finding him not guilty, uh, per se, coming back. And, and now we have to remove one where we absolutely know as a matter of fact that this happened. And you walk up and the officer's there and he's drinking the beer. So, uh, you know, there's not getting a lot of like getting around that. So, you know, that's a story that, that created a unique challenge. And I've got a couple of those. I had a hazmat carrier uh, driver who's driving a, a load of hazmat and it was his third DUI. Uh, And he was operating hazardous materials vehicles. Now, these are, again, the worst case outlying way outside of our average normal situation, but they are some of the the weird ones that happen out there. So, um, but to your point about the best practices, there are a lot of things carriers can really do to help themselves. Um, first CVSA and FMCSA need to continue to, uh, talk about the importance of data queues. We need to continue to train folks and data queue managers to make sure they understand how to use the system. That's critical, but carriers can help themselves a couple different ways. You mentioned it early on, you know, when you, when they file a data queue, it can feel like they were arguing with you officers on the roadside and that should not, should not happen. And so I'll just start with, you know, what happens at the roadside, a driver, should feel comfortable not arguing with a law enforcement officer. Uh, you know, that's what courts for and lawyers are for. Um, but there's no reason that, and I would encourage drivers to ask the officer, Hey, can you show me what you're talking about? You know, just saying, Hey, I want to do this. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to do it. Right. Can you point out to me the violation? Can you show it to me? Or can you explain it to me? I had many officers or drivers ask me that roadside and, you know, I'd go and print out the federal regulation. We'd talk about it. We'd look through it Now, not, not always is someone able to do that. Maybe you're not in a safe location. Maybe that's uh, something that not every officer uh, feels at the time that it's safe to do, especially, you know, during COVID. I can't bring somebody back to my car and, and go over it with them in a safe location, but that's a good start. Just have a conversation, a respectful conversation with the officer. Go ahead and document uh, the violation that they're showing with the camera. Just hop out and say, hey, is it all right if I take a picture of this from my boss or for our records? whatever it is and try and get the officer or the car in the picture. So there's, there's not a way that if I'm working the data queue, I can say, well, you know, that's now back at your shop. That's the picture you're showing me, but that's not what happened at the scene because you've taken a picture of what was at the scene. So that's another way that you can help yourself. So there are, there are a lot of those best practices when you file the data queue itself, making sure that you're concise, that you're to the point that you have that supporting evidence and information. And then where where you can, if you can reach out via, you know, phone call or put in the data queue, hey, I'd, I'd like to visit with whoever's working this to, to talk a little bit more in depth about it. So you can really express where you're coming from. Right. It's not it's not a situation where I'd recommend any kind of, you know, combative attitude at all. The more you can come at with the approach of, hey, I just want to, I don't want to be held accountable for something that isn't accurate. But if it is, you know, we'll move on and I'll data queue the next one. I think a lot of folks would be uh, pleased with the kind of the response that they get either at the roadside or from the data queue analyst. And then lastly, I would just say that if you have a result and you firmly believe you're right, which is why you challenged it in the first place, ask for that appeal, hit that button again, reply and say, I appreciate the time you put into this data queue. However, I still feel we are right for these reasons. May I have a second review? And and you'll find that you have a lot of success when you try and do that.
1: Right. Yeah. Chris Haney, I, um, um, uh, I wanted, wanted to mention here, I, I, I totally forgot to do this in the, in the intro, but uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on here is because you've got a, uh, so far anyway, knock on wood, perfect, uh, <laughs> perfect data <dedicated laughs> record, uh, meaning uh, everything that you've um, challenged or requested a review of has resulted in uh, the change that you wanted. Uh, so you're doing pretty well. Um, walk us to do the, do it. Take us through a, a similar scenario if you could, and walk us through one that that uh, that gave you a little trouble and uh, tell us how you resolved it and you know and you know, leading toward a similar kind of best practice uh, best practices um, uh, discussion from the carrier side
0: all right so I, one in particular that i i I'm particularly proud of um, <laughs> and it involves a driver. Uh, was coming up to an intersection, has a slight curve in it, slight left curve in it. And uh, my driver was making up to an intersection and my driver was going to make a left turn. So he was in that left lane. And another driver, uh, this was just in a, in an automobile. uh, And he was on, she was in the right lane and uh, she was going to be going straight. So both vehicles come around that curve and they Impact, and the driver of the automobile uh, got out of the car, uh, screaming, yelling, hollering, whole nine yards, uh, pointing a finger at, the, at our driver, um, and it it turned into a big deal. So police were called, police came out, uh, two units uh, came to the scene, and uh, they went through their investigation process, and they cited my driver uh, for. It was failing to maintain the lane or something along those lines and uh, the vehicle the the car was towed away. well car was towed away at the request of the other vehicle's driver. Uh, she just simply didn't want to drive the vehicle. so this turned into a reportable accident showed up on our CSA and uh, the driver uh, uh, got his ticket and and he got his court date and uh, we happen to have dashcam video. so let me start by saying first best practice dashcam video. everybody okay. out there if you have a truck or a bunch of trucks get dashcam videos I cannot tell you they will pay for themselves over and over and over again. so with that said, I happen to have a dashcam video uh, that showed this driver alongside our driver uh, for about maybe 150 feet prior to getting to the intersection. Follows us all the way up. I was able to blow the video up. You could see the woman's left hand come to the 12 o'clock position on the steering wheel and go to nine o'clock making a left turn, turning the vehicle into our vehicle. Oh. So blew up the video, got it all set up for the driver, took skills, um, had the whole thing all set up. Driver took it into court. The woman showed up, uh, The played the video. She uh, screaming and hollering in the courtroom. Uh, oh, but anyway, <laughs> um, showed the video to the judge and the judge saw the hand go up on the wheel and turn the wheel into our vehicle. And just right then and there uh, said, not guilty. And that was it. And the woman just went nuts, uh, screaming and hollering so much so that the judge had to get up and walk out of the courtroom. This was, was, it was incredible. So where I'm going with this was Not only did the video help the driver get out of the citation, but I also used the video, the dash cam video, to challenge the reportable accident. And by doing so, the only reason that it was a reportable accident was because the vehicle um, was inoperable uh, at the scene, which classified it as a reportable accident. So when I did the data queue, I was able to use the video to show which it just so happens the position of the video captured the officer at the scene getting into the woman's car, driving the car through the intersection around the corner for another maybe 15, 20 feet to where the tow truck was. And it didn't take a whole lot more than that to get the the crash reversed and get it removed. And... I, you know, it's the little things like that that just get really frustrating. But the problem we had was it sat on that report for a long. Oh, and of course, um, I, w- w- after the driver went and got the night the not guilty, uh, we submitted all that information as well, so that we could support that. You know, the that that our driver was not in fault in any of this either, and and it and it worked well and right. it, we had it all removed. So that that's one way that just using video, keeping it simple, mm-hmm. sticking straight to the definition of a reportable accident using the language. We didn't include our opinion. I didn't say anything about how, just cut and dry. Right. Right. Definition of a reportable accident. Here's the evidence of the vehicle uh, being removed from the scene under its own power. And that's pretty much all it takes. We didn't add a whole lot of else to it and that we were successful in that. And
1: that uh, that citation, uh, I'm assuming there's probably a violation associated with that uh, on the driver's record was also um, able to be removed because. The... But not
0: on the It does it show up on CSA yeah, yeah. because there was no um, uh, vehicle inspection as. Original.
1: Oh, OK. okay. Right.
0: Yeah. The, because so it's not reportable.
2: Yeah. But two different things. That's not non-preventable. That's just not reportable. Yeah. So not it doesn't even go into the database. That's, that's an extreme example and we both brought those, but that is fantastic <laughs> advice. Uh, both of our examples example. were, but that's great. That's fantastic. That's exactly how you're supposed to do it.
0: If there's time, there's another one that, that I, that I would love to have an opportunity to explain. Well, let's,
1: let's let's I wanted to, I wanted to uh, address that uh, issue that you brought up Chris, because that is, that is a question that we've gotten in uh, from, from readers. uh uh, in recent times about, um, you know, h- how to speed up that uh, the, the lag time between all of that. We, I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, because, yeah, like, like you said, this crash happened. Um, it was immediate, I mean, not immediately, but very soon it shows up on the record. Um, like how much time elapsed between the crash and uh, and, and you, and you guys being able to successfully data queue it, it's probably I'm I'm guessing months. Right. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean how, how do how do you like like how do we deal with that? Is it is it all speed, getting to the evidence, I guess. Um, you know, in, in a case in a case that a lot of our readers have is that, you know, they they'll they'll receive a citation. Um, let's say it's let's just say it's speeding. Um and with the, with the you know with, with the idea that they'll take it to court and challenge it and and if and if they if they are successful there they'll take it and they'll queue it and get it off of the off the record there. Um, there's a lot of time involved there. Um, how do we speed that up um, if if it's at all possible? You know, do you instead of uh, instead of going out and um, and relying on the fa- on, on the court to throw it out, or uh, do you it before you uh, take it to court? Um, I'm thinking uh, from the point of view of a you know an independent owner operator, say, or a very small very small carrier.
2: Yeah. So um, even the court system, you're gonna, you're looking at. Uh, lengthy uh, time frame before you get that done. So I, I would say to data queue it as, as quickly as you can. So there, there's some built-in um, time delays, I suppose, that are going to be frustrating. So uh, most states have a 10-day requirement to get the basically first draft, I'll call it, of, a, of an accident report in. That means basically your cover page, the critical information, and that's a requirement um, as part of federal highway dollars to, to make sure those are updated uh, to NHTSA. Um, through one of the federal crash databases, FARS is what it's called, the federal accident uh, reporting system. So um, there's a built-in delay there. Uh, And then you have even a delay between 30 and sometimes 60 days. um, Once we've made a change, uh, if a change is made before it even is removed from the carrier's profile, it's actually removed in MiCMIS immediately, but each of those FMCSA systems take snapshots or pull their data over time. So Um, To to speed it up, uh, you know, uh, the first thing I would do is is file that data queue. So as quickly as you can, request a copy of an accident report if it's a crash or your driver uh, should make sure they keep a copy of that inspection report that they were given roadside. If not, request one immediately. Uh, Immediately hop on as, as quick as you can to file that data queue. Uh, and I know these are things that are, they burdens upon the carrier, right. And burdens yep. upon the driver. But as we're talking about a faster way to get it off the profile, that's the way to do it. You just have to take the time to make sure you submit it as quickly as possible. Um, you know, and I like Chris's example, uh, st- st- uh, stayed with the facts. Stayed with the regulation. Said why they believe that it didn't happen or wasn't accurate per the regulation, and were concise. And then and gave an offer again. You know, my recommendation is always to give an offer to visit where you can with the person because so much gets lost. In email communication and typing, and and actually, when you get a chance to talk to somebody, um, you know you're gonna. If Chris called me, I bet we'd have a, a five minute conversation, getting to know each other, and then understanding where we're coming from, and and whether it's resolved in his favor or not. That does something for future RDR requests, requests for data reviews. So these are not isolated incidents, but over time, you want to build these relationships where it's membership to CBSA and you can meet different enforcement officials. Or, you know, if you're a smaller operator and you don't have that opportunity, taking time to visit with the officer roadside. So much of this is, is also about uh, relationships over time. You know, I, I, as part of the, let me tell you something not to do. So as an example, we had uh, uh, a lawyer who would file on behalf of a lot of carriers, but would just early on when this came out, it was was throwing spaghetti at the wall, so to speak, to seeing what would stick. That's not okay. So law enforcement's frustration when you file things that you know aren't right, but you just don't like it, that's not going to go well. And that's going to degrade your relationship over time. So when you do file a legitimate data queue, Then, you know, human nature, right or wrong, is going to be looking at that with skepticism. And we shouldn't. We should all be professionals, but humans are humans. So you want to make sure that you file those good data cues, that you have that opportunity to build those relationships over time. And that's going to get them done faster, too. Uh, You know, they'll see that name pop up or that carrier pop up. And the first thing, again, human nature is this person files legitimate data cues. Let's pop this one up because we can probably knock it out quick, as opposed to one that's going to take me longer to work in the data cue system. You know, I'll start by saying or end by saying there, there's between three and four million inspections every year. There's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of violations that occur every year in the RDR system. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think back to your article and you probably know the number better off the top of your head than I do, but we're
1: 60,000-ish. So Chris Turner was pretty close there. Inspection-related data queues filed in 2019, the full year's data we were looking at in our setting the record straight package of feature stories on the order of about 48,000. Add crash-related requests, and you get uh, to around fifty-five thousand total. Small fraction of the of the total uh, violations issued. Yes, improvement, uh, Chris Turner. You, you you had just mentioned that. Um, we, you and I had talked about. and We Max Heine and I wrote about uh, the efforts that have have sort of been ongoing um, uh, to. I sort of test the idea of a of a, a kind of national approach to uh, appeals but before before we before we get uh, into a little bit more of that i wanted to ask chris haney have you have you gotten to the to the, to a place with a lot of data queues where you've had to to file an official appeal and if so like how how do you get how have you gotten through those
0: no <laughs> No, you have, uh, and I know, and and Todd, I have to laugh because when 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 we were going through the interview, and you had asked me about um, my success record, and I had it was so innocently and wasn't even thinking about it, and and I said that I had a perfect record, which I do, but now that it's out there, I feel like I just womped myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: you hear that knocking sound? join me in finding a bit of wood for mr chris haney just for kicks and a little luck. okay i mean i
0: know but no i have been fortunate um all of those that i have done i have not had to appeal so all i can offer are stories from colleagues um, and frustration generally and usually after they explain what the issues were it's pretty recognizable that um, during the appeal process, they were more interested in expressing their feelings about it than they were about arguing whatever their actual arguing
1: the actual case. Things. Yeah, yeah, so I've heard that from a from a less lot of feelings.
0: Yeah. yeah, less feelings and stick to those facts.
1: Right. We've got uh, what what we mean by when I when I say appeals, uh, just just to clarify. You know, we're talking about you submit a data queue. You're asking right. to for a violation to be removed and uh, the state comes back with a, with a final decision. And then you, uh, like Chris Turner said earlier, you hit that reply again, and you ask for either a supervisory review or somebody in the training department to look, take another look. Um, and in some cases, the state of Minnesota, as uh, any of our regular readers may know uh, from our coverage of this in that Setting the records Straight series, um, in in some cases, there are panels that do involve industry folks, um, uh, that that are tasked with reviewing the 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 really hard to handle uh, data cues cases where, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a question there that just can't be resolved uh, to the satisfaction of the carrier, and or or driver, uh, as the case may be, and uh, requires a, a more in depth review. and And Chris Chris Turner, tell us a little bit about the uh, uh, the effort that uh, CVSA is, is undertaking uh, to kind of test out and I, to, to take that, uh, that, that sort of appeals panel idea and uh, take it, take it uh, to a larger scale on a national uh, basis.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, but I was going to use a different example, but this will work. So, behind me, you see the law books up there. So, uh, those aren't the federal regulations, but they might as well be. So, you know, we're talking about books that are they're that are pretty thick, the the font small, and there's a lot of pages. And and none of us, uh, no matter how good we are, can be absolute experts on every part of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations. It just is just can't do it. So, uh, CVSA and first of all, FMCSA recognized that there are improvements to be made in the data queue system. And in, as part of their high priority notice of funding um, opportunities, they asked for innovative ideas that may help with data queues, requests for data review, and or a data queue appeals process on a national level. So CVSA last year proposed um, a, uh, a different appeals process to FMCSA we weren't awarded uh, the opportunity to move forward, but what we were awarded from FMCSA was the opportunity to flush that out more, to explore that, to have some meetings, let's see where we're at. So CBSA uh, in this next round of high priority grants from FMCSA is going to try again. And our, our goal is to establish a panel at a, at a national level and we'll start with the demonstration project to make sure we do our best to get the kinks worked out and try and avoid unforeseen consequences with, with two or three member states. And the idea is that as they have those carrier appeals that not the first appeal, because that would go back to the state to hopefully a management level where the state could take a, another look at it um, from the carrier's point of view and decide. And if, if there's still yet another appeal, so your second appeal or basically your third challenge, it would come to CVSA through the data queue system. I require FMCSA to make some changes in the system, because one of the things we don't know is exactly how many are appealed. We do know right. Because it's just a reply on an email button, right? So we need to change a little functionality in the system. Uh, FMCSA has at least been open to that idea. Hopefully we wrote a good enough grant that they believe in what we're trying to do. And and we want to incorporate law enforcement. So our our idea right now is a seven-person panel. That would be four law enforcement officers, carrier, and, and then three from industry, is right now what we're talking about. And that would include a a driver, a carrier representative, um, you know, whether it's members of our association, a a group of associates or ATA or OIDA, um, you know, who that is is yet to be determined, but it's critical we have that carrier point of view. You know that we have someone like Chris who says, "Okay, hey, this is where the carrier is coming from. This is what they're seeing. This is what they're looking at." And then, as necessary, we'll bring in subject matter experts. Uh, you know, if it is one of those harder parts of the federal regulations, whether it's hazardous materials and a and a labeling requirement on a battery that requires the package to be marked, but it doesn't have to be placarded on the truck. You know, one of those harder type of situations. Um, and then they'll vet it. That. Group will make a decision and provide a recommendation back to the state. And then the agreement with those participating states is that they will change it based on this panel's recommendation about how that should go. So it'll be a little bit more uh, uh, time consuming once we're fleshed out, meaning that it will we'll have to have that second appeal. So going back to the best practices for the carrier, if you get denied, I believe you're right, you'll want to appeal. Quickly, you know, to help resolve that process, and then uh, uh, once once it does get to us, we'll take that look at it and provide that best recommendation back to the state. We're excited about the opportunity. We know this has been longstanding. You know, reading your article, uh, industry out there says it's time to to do something different, and a national data cues a panel is is uh, had greater than you know fifty um, mm-hmm. percent. I think there's a lot of support out there, for it, and we want to see if we can really make a difference and and again get to the. The corrected data, that's what we want, uh, not about who's right or wrong, other than the fact, was the violation present? And if so, let's cite it and see if ways we can prevent crashes in the future.
1: Chris Turner was right when he said there that a majority of overdrive readers indicated they felt a national data accused appeals panel would be a good idea. The number was 55%, with only one in 10 saying it wasn't a good idea. The balance, about a third of respondents, indicated that they just really weren't sure one way or the other. Chris, hey, do you do you feel like um, that that sort of idea is, um, is something that would uh, materially improve uh, uh, the data cues system? Anything
0: that that more involves industry and industry representatives, um, drivers, uh, the, the trucking company representatives. Yes, I think that would work. Go a long way uh, towards developing that relationship. Uh, so that there's a little bit more trust if we can say that we have some input involved in this, because right now, as an industry, it's more we just feel more like a victim of the process rather than a part of the process. And I, you know, we we've talked about this before. We t- touched on it a little bit in the beginning about um, the, how what the perception is. There are bad actors out there. Yes, there are, but it is such a small percentage the, of 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 uh, drivers and carriers, uh, but yet we're all judged as an industry on the actions of those few. And and actually, that works both ways. Um, it it it's just frustrating on our part that we don't feel like we have involvement. Um, so yes, anything that involves a panel that includes industry representatives that are that are actually participating and uh, contributing, not just. A, a figurehead or just somebody to put on a, a bumper sticker.
2: And to Chris's point, these, these are not to be figureheads or token industry right. or driver members. These are meant right. to be individuals and they'll be, we'll have to apply. They'll be vetted. We want them to have training and experience and, and years behind them. And it's just like CBSA meetings, you know, so we we have a large group of associates because you know, even my first uh, CBSA uh, meeting, a, a pentile hook. Uh, I I didn't come from a background, you know, as a kid where I would know what that component was, or or if I break apart a brake chamber that the spring is under however many thousands of pounds of pressure, or that you know how a, a brake drum and a uh, a a braking pad may influence the push rod travel length of the braking system and making that out of adjustment. We need you know cops are cops, drivers are, are drivers. We need those industry experts, whether it's carriers or manufacturers, or the folks who write the VMSS for the standards for vehicles to be made to. We have to have that expertise working cooperatively. So there's no no intent for it to be a figurehead situation. We need that input. It is valuable and it's critical. At the same time, we also uh, want to have make sure that's independent, right? So one of the things you, you started off talking about, and I mentioned it twice, and I'm sure Chris would agree, you don't want it going back to the officer uh, per se. Now the agency is going to have to reach out to the officer to get their video, to get their notes, to, to compare stuff. That's natural. That's normal. Just like the carrier does with their driver. Um, but you want that to be really an independent look. And that's the goal of what we're doing with the data queues is make sure that the, the, the state's not emotionally invested. The the people on the board aren't emotionally invested one way or another. They just want to see was this violation present? Did it happen? And let's appropriately respond to that data queue in a factual way
1: and fair way. We got a question here for uh, Chris Haney. There's uh, so owner operators um, leased on to uh, larger carriers, but a lot of them the, a lot of them in Overdrive's audience. And um, I know there's heard over the years uh, a fair amount about reluctance to kind of involve the uh, the back office at the carrier, uh, you know, in the event of an adverse inspection. And part, part of that has to do with, um, uh, some of the lease contracts out there. And, you know, there's kind of the, the fear that, um, uh, the, the, fear that, uh, the lease uh, contract could be terminated, um, uh, depending on the violation, but, but, um, you know, the, so, a lot of owner operators get get an adverse inspection. They want to take uh, a citation if they if they get one to court themselves before they uh, attempt to involve uh, or report that to the carrier at all i'm I'm just wondering like how how pain uh, uh, we're just wondering how how pain uh, handles um, handles the situations uh, with uh, the owner operators lease there. It, do, do you encourage that kind of uh, collaboration with the safety department? Um, uh, and, you know, at the again having to do with that uh, uh, the issue of timing and, and sort of reducing the time that it takes to to um, to mitigate uh, uh, against an adverse inspection.
0: Wow, question. that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> that's a lot. to unpack. I applaud the question, if I understand the question. Yeah. Um, but the, there's there's a couple there's a couple issues right off the bat. Um, if a if an owner operator lease operator that's operating under the authority of the carrier has a violation roadside violation or a citation, um, and there's hesitation on reporting that to the motor carrier, well that that's a problem right there because there's a regulatory obligation right. for the lease operator owner operator to report it, and depending on what it is, there's a time frame on how quickly they need to report that to the motor carrier. Right. So um, that 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 right off the bat, um, it as there's a lot. Yes, there's a lot of of, of fear right now, especially right now, because of all the misclassification uh, suits that are going on and and the states are getting really excited about an an opportunity to find another source of revenue. Um, another story for another, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it creates an interesting point with an owner operator, because w- one of the things that, that just recently have been very clearly established, and that is the, uh, obligation for a motor carrier who has lease operators that are operating under their authority. They're operating under their, uh, under the, the safety, uh, guidelines that are set up both best practice and from a regulatory perspective so a carrier has not only um, the the right but the duty and the obligation to work with that individual to help them and if they don't they're foolish and i'm speaking of the motor carrier right um, look the 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 these these um, nuclear awards these lawsuits these this it, it all stems from the driver the The driver is the first line of defense for every motor carrier. And if they try to push that driver away or not cooperate or not help or assist or guide them right. uh, on how to deal with the with with whatever that that uh, uh, ticket or violation is, then that's going to be the cornerstone of everything else. It, it's the It's the domino. It's the first domino that falls, and you're going to have a very hard time stopping the remainder of the flow of those dominoes. It's it's again, it's those um the the consequences. The nobody really is looking farther ahead than just the violation or the citation at the time. So the carrier has to get involved immediately and they have to create an environment and a culture with their owner operators to know that hey, we're available. You know, I'm not gonna right. tell you what to do, but by gosh you need to tell me about the incident because there's a regulatory obligation for you to do that and there is a wealth of of information we're, we've been here danny Payne has built this company up for 50 years we're in our 50th year right now there is a wealth of information available here to offer as a resource to our owner operators and our company drivers uh, to help guide them through these situations. And I gotta tell you it's funny that, that case that I that I referred to earlier with the data queue, that look, I I've been doing this for a long time. There's always a relationship it is issue. The drivers are a little skittish of the, the safety department, especially the director's safety, because if they're going into the director of safety's office, the thought is there's a good chance they might not come back out as an employed <laughs> individual. And and that's a stigma. It's something that we have right. to face. So it's building that relationship and getting them to understand that, look, I've, there's a lot we can offer to help you. And I can't tell you how many owner operators that I have helped guide them through their legal issues that we have benefited from simply from a Claims perspective, whether it be a a, a damage claim or a, or an injury uh, claim, uh, that uh, being able to to get a uh, not guilty charge on a site on a violation uh, is is paramount in the defense. The cornerstone in the defense of moving forward in these cases.
1: Plenty of food for thought there. Big thanks to Chris Haney and Chris Turner for so much of their time. And to you as well for hanging in through to the end. We'll catch you next week. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. The podcast is edited and produced by myself, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Overdrive Extra contributor and Muller trucking hauler, Paul Morhofer, Overdrive Editorial Director, Max Heine, Social Media Coordinator, Holly Young, and News Editor, Matt Cole. Till next time, Keep it pro out there.